0: Hello and welcome to At the Fifty Five, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Bader Shamai, and I'm Eddie Meredith. Week nine is in the books, and of course, with week nine finishing off, that means the OUA regular season has now come to a close, and we are ready for playoffs. The irregular season. Let's go. Let's go. The real season starts here. Playoffs. Um, so a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of things shook out shook out this week. We obviously went through last week some of the scenarios with all the tiebreakers. So we'll go through how the playoff situation. Um, ended up uh, working out because I saw on uh, some different uh, forums, ACG and online, and different places online, people were confused with the way the rankings work with the tiebreak. So we'll revisit just how that worked out. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll of course go through all the games. We'll look, we'll take a peek at the first round of playoffs we have here in the OUA next week. And uh, as always, we'll see what's going on elsewhere in the league. And uh, you know, there's a little more to the. Story with Greg Knox in McMaster. If you haven't heard about that, not that we necessarily have
1: all that many new details, no, just just but one there's a new de- de- one, yeah. yeah, there's a
0: new development in that story that uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll save as a juicy cliffhanger if you haven't heard what's going on then, uh, haven't heard yet. But um, as always, we'll start with the game, so we'll start off Laurier Western, then go to the Mac Windsor game. York, Toronto, the Argo Cup, as I've uh, as I was corrected, it's not the Red and Blue Game oh. or the, uh, you know, any other Battle of Toronto. The Battle of Toronto. It is the Argo Cup, uh, Guelph, Waterloo, and then we'll wrap up with Ottawa, Queens. But uh, as I said, we'll start off with Laurier and Western.
1: All right. So the final score in this game uh, was a pretty lopsided, 46 to 13, favoring Western. And you know you could have had a little bit of doubt of that outcome earlier in the game. It certainly looked like it'd be a close one. Uh, the weather was brutal, as yeah, you know, as it was for pretty much every pretty game, much everywhere across in Ontario the province. Yeah, this one a little colder and wetter, I think, than maybe some of the other games. Mm. And that certainly put a uh,
0: a damper. Where you, get... a, a <laughs> and you know, it's bad <laughs> when damper. it's so it's so obvious that everyone can just tell it's coming. Yeah, it put a <laughs> damper
1: on the offensive productivity in the early goings, as you'd sort of expect. Mm-hmm. Neither of these teams um, are, are, you know, so great in their passing game that they can play through wind and rain and just overall just yucky conditions, you know, without any, without any sort of holdup, without any flaw. So there was that, you know, there was a lightning delay also. So there was a, a fun thirty-minute recess to the parking lot with all the alumni because this was the Western <laughs> homecoming. So, uh, and then it rained profusely during that 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 uh, lightning break, and we got back to the game, and Western just started pounding. So, on the day, uh, if you haven't seen the stat line, you know offensively it was an interesting day for Western. Chris Merchant had ninety-seven yards on the ground. That was basically due to one big seventy-yard run. Otherwise, the ground game was. Very well contained by mm. Laurier all day long.
0: You know, I, I had this thought, actually, when I was watching the the Ottawa uh, Mac game. Or, sorry, no, sorry, when I was watching uh, Queens, pardon me, the Queens-Ottawa game, that, you know, th- we're so top-heavy with some incredible athletes at quarterback. Obviously, Trey Ford is, is, like, the number one that comes to mind. But, you know, Theo as well is a, a, a really good athlete at QB. that I think we forget about, like, the with a lot of the other quarterbacks that we don't necessarily, like think about in that strata of that elite type of runner yeah that are still really good because you know when I was watching Queens and we kind of joked about you know Hobbs can run a little bit too but yeah Merchant as well can you know we've seen in a few weeks now really impressed impressing on the ground a bit
1: yeah it was a very impressive play too because it, you know he f- it fumbled the mesh so he had to sort of catch the ball on the bounce and then took it outside to the left and and outran sort of you know everyone every laureate defender but he had some good downfield blocking from his receivers. Mm. Like, again, a great willingness to block downfield from the Western receivers makes a big difference in the Western run game.
0: And I'm trying to remember which touchdown it was on, but I remember seeing one in that game where he, like, escaped a lot of pressure, kind of rolled out, and then on the runs, uh, I think it was in the first half. Uh, I'm try- I am I can't remember whose touchdown it was. Uh, I mean, either, I guess, yeah, Harry that, McMaster. That, um, that the, sounds familiar. Like,
1: I mean, he you know, the Harry McMaster had two on the day. And uh, DeJuan Martin had one for the Western Receiving Core, um, but uh, I don't I don't actually remember which play that was. Merchant was under quite a bit of pressure mm. in this game, so that was that was a pretty frequent, uh, you know, feature of the game. Sam Achimpong for Laurier, one of their defensive tackles, was just a menace on the day. You know, we've talked about that defensive line, and he's someone who you know we've we've mentioned the name.
0: He gets lost in the shuffle, though. He
1: does get lost in the shuffle a little bit with Robbie Smith and Trayvon James mm-hmm. being sort of incumbent all-star caliber players. Neither of them really did. I mean, Trayvon's very stout against the run, but in terms of pass rush, not really much to speak of in yeah. this game. Robbie Smith is a great pass rusher, um, and he's you know pretty stout against the run himself, but didn't get a lot of pressure in this game, didn't factor in a ton, wasn't getting the kind of clean pass rush looks he probably wanted. Mm-hmm. But Sam Achipong, he was easily Laurier's best player of the game. I mean, he probably had, what well, he had a strip sack against uh, Western, he had uh, a couple tackles for a loss, I think, and I don't know if they show up on the statute or not, but he had them. And then he had several hurries, mm-hmm. right? So he was just a menace all day, and I, I, I distinctly remember him getting through the line quite a few times. Something Western needs to work on. Uh, I think they might have been Laurier specifically trying to isolate him because they do know he's a good pass rusher as a defensive tackle. He kind of does look like a tweener, right? He's probably... 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six, yeah. Probably 270, 260. I don't know what he is, but he's just what a marvelous athlete. So um, he was a problem. And, what, and, you know, Merchant did face a lot of pressure. And uh, I thought Merchant had a really quite a good game. So his, his stat line is, you know, indicative of obviously an efficient game. He was 13 of 19. That's completions to attempts for 251, two touchdowns, one interception. You know, I I, I it, thought he played well all day. I mean, a lot of receiver screens too. Some yeah. of that
0: accounted for some of those long yards. With the weather being what it was too, I that's I think that's almost more than you're like, th- then you can ask from a quarterback to be able to produce in a you know essentially a monsoon and just, you know in t- in such terrible weather. You know, if you can get that from your QB, and then you, it's, it, what's interesting too is from both teams. You know, when you look at those kind of bad weather games, you would think that the first thing that would catch your eye would be that there was probably a lot of production in the run game because you'd think that's where the offense would sort of lean towards to escape those troubles that the weather presents. But for both teams, I mean, you already mentioned Merchant's uh, Merchant's Day and the 97 yards, yes, being aided by that 70-plus run that he had. But then coming in behind him, you know, Joseph only 12 carries, Taylor 10 carries, splitting the loads pretty well for them. And then on the other side of the ball, not to say an an occurrence that is – You know surprising given how stout this western defense is but this is i I didn't look back through his season but i imagine this is uh lavandre's uh weakest output of the year yeah
1: lavandre gordon held to 56 yards on 15 attempts that's good for a 3.7 average and no tds and no tds yeah you know it's funny because both of these teams can defend the run and both of these teams can run block and you know, Laurier, we've had criticisms at times of their offensive line not being able to get a lot of push. But I thought they played a really nice game. Western has just a crazy front. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's not a ton you can do when you have three sort of OUA, all-star caliber linebackers and, you know, two or three defensive linemen. And, you know, like it's just, it's just a nasty, nasty situation yeah. to run against. And too. I guess
0: by the same token – You know, when your offenses are going to gear more towards the run based on the weather, you know, defensively, they understand that that's going to happen too. It was no secret to anyone. (laughs) Yeah. It was no secret to
1: anyone. Western showed you they want to run the ball against Mm. Ottawa when the weather was crappy. Exactly. And and that's what they obviously wanted to do when the weather was crappy in this case. Uh, Point of note, Merchant's interception. I like to, you know, to, to comment on turnovers as much as I can. Uh, Really amounted just a really nice punt. You know, it was one of those <laughs> interceptions, those seventy yards downfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not quite in the same situation where it was, you know, towards the end of the half or, or you know, on third down and it was, you know, like literally like a punt. But just one of those situations where he was getting pressured. Uh, through, I don't think he was hit when he threw, but he was he was stepping up in the pocket to escape pressure. Right, right. And he heaved it up, and it was a nice play on the ball. Yeah. So
0: you know, and f- f- for Laurier, I mean. If you haven't checked the standings, this did eliminate them from the playoffs. And you know, going back to the beginning of the season, you know, we 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 talked a little bit last week, uh, doing a little bit of a you know look back to how much hype we talked about with this game, thinking that this was gonna be, or that there was a strong likelihood that this was gonna be the the game that determined the number one overall seed in the conference, and that it was gonna be a closely contested game. But if I told you, if when we were having that conversation, a week two, week three, that I told you that. In this game, Laurier was going to miss the, Windsor or Western was going to win. Laurier, as a result, was going to miss the playoffs. Connor Carousello would be at quarterback for them, going 26, 42, two picks, one TD. Gordon would have a 56, 56 yards on the game, and Curly Gittins would have only five catches for 26 yards and no touchdowns. And that's
1: really the most remarkable thing yeah. of all of those things. I mean, every, every other one of those things I would have said, Okay, well they make a change at quarterback, okay, that happens. You know, oh Laurie has a bad year, that happens. Curly Giddens has twenty six yards receiving. Like no 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 That doesn't happen. Sure, <laughs> you must be missing a zero. Yeah, like yeah. that's oh that and, and that speaks, you know, obviously to the Western secondary. Absolutely. The way that they've matured is incredible. I mean, you see that Carousello had two hundred and seventeen yards, great. On on forty two attempts, that's really not impressive, mm-hmm. right? That's that's um, five yards per attempt or something like that. So, you know, that that's, that's not great. That's in a very inefficient day. Ah! That's a very inefficient day. There we go. So, Curly Giddens being held to that, I think, you know, he found himself lined up on Bleska-Cambamba, the boundary corner for Western quite a bit, and Bleska, I mean, pretty much locked his ass down. And every now and then, you're going to get got. And one of the things about Curly Giddens is he's such a focal point of offenses, or sorry, of defense's game plans, for, oppo- for the opposing offense, mm-hmm. being Laurier, uh, that, you know, sometimes he should get locked down. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember, like, when... Was it Carlton, double-team Turnowski the entire game? Right, right. In every formation.
0: The kind of the, let someone else beat us type yeah, mentality. let someone else beat us.
1: And, yeah. and they, I mean... <laughs> Good for Western. They didn't let anyone else <laughs> yeah. beat them. But <laughs> yeah. uh, that that was obviously a really impressive showing. You have to, you know, tip your hat to the young Western DBs who are stepping into roles vacated by, you know, the the uh, CFLer Jordan Bolia and other sort of veterans Jesse McNair, you know, an all Canadian guy, mm-hmm. and they have matured as a unit very, very effectively. You know, I've been I've been very impressed. I think uh, Salachev had his best game at uh, at field half. And uh, Jake Andrews, you know everyone. Everyone I talk to about him tells me you know he's the next real deal. He's playing boundary half. He's mature too. And you have Bleska at field corner. Sorry, at boundary corner and Mackenzie Ferguson at field corner. Mm. And they're both you know just fantastic veteran defensive backs uh, who, who've been locking it down. So very very impressive day for the Western DB group. Uh, adding two interceptions on the day. Uh, the one by uh, Salachev was was gorgeous. I mean, he just, you know, rolling over in coverage, breaking hard to the ball, you know, extending for it. It was it mm-hmm. was fantastic, and then.
0: Uh, Jake Andrews
1: had one as well, also
0: great. Mm. And talking about interceptions, and y- you mentioned the um, the one that uh, Laurier had, and being more of a glorified punt than anything. But you know, shout out to Willamoa who who had the pick yeah. for Laurier, moving him into uh, second place on the season in picks behind, guess who? It is Jamie Harry mm-hmm. uh, with five. Um, but you know, you know, good good season he's put together for himself, and uh, it, it's it's nice to see that the top two leaders in the OUA for uh, interceptions aren't both from Ottawa because that would just be a little excessive or three or three and uh
1: you know I saw I talked to Andrew Thurston after the game one of the defensive linemen for Western the defensive end fifth year guy and he was I think he finished a half sack short of tying Kenny Onyeka Kenny Onyeka finished with the lead in sacks in the OUA did play one or two fewer games. Yeah. So, so a very <laughs> impressive feat by Onyeka. We
0: all know is amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that that was not yeah. lost on any of us. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Andrew Thurston also finished with a, uh, a prominent position on the sack leaderboard mm-hmm. in the OUA uh, and had another brilliant game. I mean, the, he's become one of those sort of forceful, forceful defensive linemen who, even if he doesn't get a sack in a game, you know that he's disrupting the passing game immensely. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I've been impressed with the way the Laurier offensive line has grown over the season. Like, I think across the board, they're playing better football, or they were playing better football last week than they had in any prior week. A credit to, to Big Drew Merleitner. He's been good inside, but these two tackles, Bryce Bell and Sukhni Cologne, routinely are getting better. That being said, they were not up to the task of dealing with Thurston uh, on the day he was. He was a force, you know. And frankly, no one, no one really has shut him down yet. So, if, from what I've seen, I mean, on the stat sheet, maybe it's a—you it, wouldn't call it a pedestrian day. He had five total tackles, but you, you know, you, he doesn't have a sack. He doesn't have um, multiple tackles for a loss. He has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the forced fumble. I don't remember seeing that, but <laughs> it happened. Yeah. And uh, and you know, he had a great day. You know, again, and also one of the things about Western is. So many guys are capable of making plays of, you know, in in the course of just sort of any given play yeah. that you don't get the same sort of stat accumulation of, say— you Any know, standout player. Of, of what you've seen on Guelph or what you've seen on right. Carlton with their linebackers. But mm. just it cannot be lost how good the Western linebacking core is, even if they don't statistically stand out at all. Mm-hmm. You just you watch the game and it's just ridiculous what they're doing.
0: Well, I mean, if anyone has any questions about how good this defense has been as a whole all year, just check some box scores because yeah. the proof's in the pudding. Yeah. Um, for both these teams moving on to next week, uh, neither will be in action for Western. It'll be kicking their feet up, waiting to see who comes out of the. I believe it'll be the uh, Carlton Mac uh, matchup to face them, and uh, for Laurier. Uh, well, they won't be playing either, but that's because they ain't playing football no more. Uh, maybe in one of the playoff episodes, we can talk about with some of the teams with maybe players they're returning or, or you know, some suspicions of who's going to be on this team again to kind of look into the future. Because you know, for Laurier, so many of. This is a weird season for them. I like. I don't think Laurier should be. It's a be, very weird season. You know, it, you should be upset that you missed the playoffs. No doubt with the talent you have on this team. Like that's like it's it's inexcusable. Like a, a lot of bad bounces in some games. I mean that Guelph game, of course, like an anomaly amongst anomalies that that went down the way it did. Um, but yeah, you know, so I won't I won't talk too much about. The state of the team right now, I think perhaps in one of the later episodes we can do a little more digging to get a firmer grasp of sort of where the state of the team.
1: Yeah, I think we can probably do the post-mortem next yeah. week or the week after. Either way, we're going to have fewer games to be covering, so we can get into that as well as our OUA All-Star sort of considerations. And, uh, and we'll be keeping a more close eye on the rest of uh, the U-sports landscape as uh, the weeks progress because we
0: will have time to. Absolutely. Um, so we'll call that a wrap for that game, and uh, we'll move on to the next one, Mac and Windsor. Final score in this game: McMaster Marauders seventeen, Windsor Lancers five. And as we kind of mentioned, one of the storylines with the Western Laurier game, and well across the province, was weather playing a factor, because um, this first half was just was just very ugly. Neither team really got it going. And not really. It didn't really seem as a result of necessarily either defense just balling out. It just looked like the passing game was just not a, was just not an option. You look at both quarterbacks in this game. Sam Girard for Windsor, finishing 14 of 26, 124 yards and a pick, no TDs, just one pick. And then for for Mac, do it going seven of 11. 82 yards. Jackson White got some run in this game, going 5 for 13, 70 yards, one pick, so really, like, unless you just want to, I, I'm not remembering that pick, Um, I'm not, I can't remember it specifically, but if you want to hold that against I'm sure, that's like the determining factor in which one played worse, but none of these guys had really any type of production in this one. The wind was
1: crazy. Apparently, it was a yeah. nasty crosswind. It affected both teams obviously, as you've laid out with the stats. You know, Sam Girard is someone we've we're, we're sort of used to seeing put up very efficient days yeah. in the passing game. So his stat line is, you know, extremely anomalous. And, and obviously, if Windsor can't pass, that's a problem for them. McMaster at least can lean on their run game when their passing game isn't going so well, which they did. And Jordan Lyons had a very nice day. Uh, 19 attempts, getting him 184 yards. Mm. It's good for 9.7, a carry and a touchdown on the day. Jackson White also had a touchdown,
0: and and uh, to lean on uh, uh, Jordan Lyon's production, also good enough to secure him in in fourth in terms of uh, yards per game in the OUA. And I, I just pulled this up because I knew it was close going into this one, with an average of ninety four point nine yards per game above. Fifth place, Nathan Carter for Carlton at ninety four point five, so it's oh, a nice little notch on the break, belt. <laughs> but you know, really nice game for the Lions. Um, obviously, as the stat- stats bear out, but you know, it was it was just nice to see because I feel like he had a couple games where, and maybe with them working Allen back into the fold you know, maybe some of the attention was taken away from him. But, you know, at the beginning of the season, this was one of the top backs for sure. And clearly his stats show that he was, hes he, he is one of the top backs. That There's no question. But there was a few games where I just kind of felt like he, he, he just became a little, his production quieted down a little bit. Whether that was a result of, I mean, when they played Western and everyone's production went down tremendously, or yeah. maybe, in, like I said, integrating Justice Allen back into the fold. Could that have had an effect perhaps? So, you know, this is a type of game that, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's a, it's a great stat line. It it doesn't blow me away, but just because I, like we know how good a back Jordan Lyons is. This is an East-West guy, a guy who showed out in the combine, all those things. Um, so just a, a great way to for him moving into the playoffs to really you know get himself going.
1: Yeah, he's a great player. He's shown it all year long. Can't hold it against him if he's had a quiet game or two against Western or teams that have game plans specifically for the run and committed heavily to it. I mean, U of T comes to mind as a team that did that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, obviously he showed it in this game. And McMaster's offensive line showed uh, a little more, I think, in the run game than they had in the last weeks as well. And obviously that the two are, you know, just so interrelated. You can't separate a running back from his blocking. It's, it's impossible. So yeah. it's basically impossible. It, you can obviously look at sort of raw skills and the decisions he makes on a, Every down basis, but those have never really been in question for Jordan Lyons. He's a very tough inside runner and he had success on the day. Um, Duick, you know, it, it should be noted, Duick didn't leave the game, um, in well, for any reason other than that he was injured. He had, uh, I forget what the injury was, I was told uh, something, anyways. <laughs> very descriptive today, we are. <laughs> Uh, so Duwik left the game, and Jackson White came in, mm-hmm. and obviously you could see the game—the game, the game kind of changed. Like the downfield passing, you could see there weren't as many attempts uh, after that of that, and um, certainly Jordan Lyons felt even more of the uh, the the load afterwards. So mm. uh, the wind and the uh, the lack of Duwik definitely. Uh, Definitely help them master run game.
0: No doubt, but you know whether it's Duick or whether it's White and you know Gerard leading the way for Windsor the whole game. You know if you look through, uh, if if you don't know on, on the OUA's website, they put up they put up the box score, but they'll also give you drive summaries. And the drive summary for this game, if you just go back and forth, looks like a special teams practice. If you'll indulge me for a quick second, just going back and forth between the two teams, starting with Windsor, uh, punt, then Mac punt, then Windsor punt then mac punt then a windsor punt then mac punt then a windsor fumble then a mac fumble then a windsor field goal attempt with a miss then a mac punt then a windsor punt and then a mac field goal attempt and a miss and then another punt and it's just like some really good symmetry going on <laughs> yes i mean I'm really you know you, you, it's it's very excusable if if you chose to uh you know not watch this whole game play out um cuz you know obviously the weather you know the, the weather was a massive factor late in the first half like maybe three minutes in the, in the second quarter, it literally just, you, you almost couldn't see the field from the broadcast. It was raining so hard. And then again, like mid third quarter picked up again. Um,
1: and that's when you get the first score of the game, right? Like it's worth, yeah. it's worth noting like the, the first quarter of the game comes with, uh, three minutes left in the third quarter. That's a Jackson white sort of 18 yard scamper run for a touchdown after having replaced Duick. And, uh, And then, you know, Windsor gets the field goal. And then Mack gets a field goal. And then, you know, we get a Jordan Lyons touchdown run. And then Windsor takes the safety. Mm. Or, sorry, well, McMaster takes the safety. So, one of those games, you know, there's a reason even if you – even if you thought this game would be relatively closely contested and you thought it would be
0: interesting for the playoffs, it wasn't an interesting game. No. And, you know, one thing, obviously, this ends – I mean – Windsor's season was their or at least in terms of playoff opportunities was ended a while ago but you know this obviously ends their season um so there's a lot of stuff they're obviously going into the off season, gonna figure out how they're gonna move forward you know what players are coming back recruiting all that jazz and similarly with lori and as i'm sure all the other teams in the conference we'll just get into a bit of sort of uh, uh you know the, looking forward uh, to next year what types of things we can see but one thing that one thing that bothered me and maybe the weather played a big factor but they had two fumbles I think on QB sneaks where it was hankel coming in and we saw Hankel play a, in a couple of games when Gerard was missing uh one looked like a fumble on the exchange which you know as an offensive lineman I'm uh I'm gonna be quick to say that's on the quarterback and not on the center um but then another time too is like that's just, you know, this is a team that we've seen positive signs from. You know, they're trajecting in in the right way. But that, it, that's just, like, ugly stuff to see in a game is just, ugh, brutal. Brutal.
1: And, and and ugly mistakes have really been the thing that's killed Windsor in a lot of games this year. And yeah. I'm not saying necessarily those are the things that killed them in this game. But, that I mean, that's just, that's routinely been a problem for them. Against Laurier, we saw that. I mean, not Western, but in previous games that they've lost mm. against the Carlton, yeah, yeah, the, the Guelph two, game. its It's been sort of these, these implosions. And, yeah. you know, I guess, you know, there's sort of a, maybe an attention to detail missing mm. um, in some of these instances. But I also, I don't want to lay that at the feet of anyone in particular. It's a young team and they've been playing well and they've been maybe not over their head, but they've been playing better than I expected for sure. I mean, we expected them to miss the playoffs. Yeah. But I didn't expect them to be as competitive as frequently as they've been this season. No so, doubt. Uh, full credit to them. Gross mistakes have cost them. Yeah. But excellent play overall has made them. So, mm. or I, I mean, as much as it can yeah. when you're missing the playoffs. Yeah. Per, you know,
0: as you said, perhaps they haven't played over their head, but they've definitely turned some heads in terms of what's going on out there in Windsor uh, with the football like you program. You better hit the nail on the head. Oh my goodness. Mm. <laughs> Something else punny yeah, related to the word we head. Just head out Let's at just. This point. Oh boy! Stop while we're ahead. Oh god. Oh. 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 Anyways, um, <laughs> what I think we might just be done after those puns. Yeah, we might just have to head it off at the pass. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you know, another name we mentioned uh, in this game a few times, Justice Allen, as we've seen him return. Bit of a quiet game for him. Only five carries in the run game for 17 yards. Uh, you know, not uh, you don't get the attempts. Obviously, it's hard to really tell uh, say much about that. And in the passing game, only two receptions. Um, so you know,
1: he had a costly drop. Uh, tough. I mean, goal goal line area when you drop the ball, that often tends to limit your your touches afterwards for for Allen. So that's life. I mean, he's obviously a focal point of the offense, and and they want him to be involved. But he's still, you know, he's still at 55 yards receiving. So yeah. you know, it's not it's not as though they, they sort of wrote him out of the offense. They can't. He's just too valuable to them.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I I hate to feel like we're just kind of not giving due to these teams. But really, there's just not all that much to talk about from this one. So I, I'm just going to say we'll probably have to move off of it now. Uh, I think we mentioned Mac going to be playing next week uh, in Ottawa, making the trip to face Carlton uh, for Windsor. Well, they can go uh, hang out with Laurier, and uh, I don't know, it, whatever. Commiserate, I suppose. There you go. So uh, that's that's that one. Once again, Mac seventeen, Windsor five. Let's move on to the next one. So now moving on to the Battle of Toronto, the Red and Blue game, the Argo Cup, the Toilet Bowl, whatever you want to call it. It's York. It's U of T. Final score in this one: the Lions thirty-one, the Blues fifteen, and you know. This solidifies the 0 8 season for U of T, and you know it gives York a, the 3 and 5 season. I, I think we we went through a bit of their hi- history. The last 3 and 5 season they had, I think, was like 2005. So a great you know a, a great year for York. Like obviously they missed the playoffs, but you know as we talked about not too long ago, those playoff chances were a legitimate possibility. Not you know going into that Carlton game. Yeah, I don't know how
1: everything had to break for them to make the playoffs, but. I think they would have been in if they had beat Carlton. And, and obviously we didn't, you know, we know that of the bottom three teams, it's very likely one of them gets to a two-win season, but not as likely that one of them gets to a three-win season. We did not yeah. think they'd get over Waterloo, and they did. Sort of a bit of a throwback to years past when Waterloo was the whipping boy. Somehow York managed to hold on and beat Waterloo in that game, yeah, giving them that, that three-win record, and then they almost could have got to four. So if they had, that would have been incredible. Um,
0: and it could have yeah. been a playoff game for and them which it, would have been amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this game ended up being thoroughly irrelevant Yeah, uh, as uh this was the third win we sort of assumed it was coming. Yeah. Credit to York for not playing like it's an assumed win. They played pretty well. Oh yeah. I the mean fi- the final score doesn't really do you justice
0: in terms of how the game played out. The 28 points in the second quarter probably is uh <laughs> you know that, that that's probably a little bit more of a uh, the, the separation of these two teams,
1: yeah, and twelve of U of T's fifteen total points coming in the <laughs> the late third and the fourth quarter, yeah uh, um, the game was obviously thoroughly out of out of reach at that point mm-hmm. so you have to give credit to uh, to to Brett hunchak uh, absolutely and you know what again, York is another one of those teams with a very good whole receiving core. Mm-hmm. You know you look at Alex Daly, Eric Kimmmerley, Colton hunchak, Luka Hakunavanhu, Nikola Kalinich that's a really nice group. I mean, yeah. all the way. So I think Colenus is a guy we'll see in the CFL next year. Apparently he's highly sought after because he's, he's going to be a great special teamer. He's a very you know, very big, fast, and physical. Colton Hunchak would not surprise me if he sticks in the CFL next year. Um, so, uh, you know, definitely a team that's going to have a lot of upheaval. We'll get into that in greater depth on yeah. a future episode. But a nice game from York overall. Toronto working two quarterbacks today. Your boy. Luchisano. Vince. The Luch. Vince Luchisano, obviously, is – yeah, he started the last game and played in relief in the game before because Conor Ennis got injured. Who was in relief of Clay Sakira? So we've now seen our fourth U of T quarterback throw the ball on the year.
0: Yikes. Yeah. uh, David Maker, from the looks of it, I didn't – you know. Full disclosure – this game did not capture really much of my time um, as there was Um, some much more interesting things going on. And it was extremely (laughs) irrelevant. And uh, some of the players we
1: expect to make big contributions from U of T in their receiving core, Will Corby and Daniel Diodati had definitely their worst games of the year. Statistically, they combined for a total of three receptions for negative seven yards. So, that should tell you about all you need to know.
0: I, I think you were looking at their rushing
1: there. You're
0: correct. <laughs> I mean, you're correct. I was going to say, if Will Corby having 114 yards in the air is his worst game, I've been missing the boat on him. <laughs> that would be the – sorry, that the correct.
1: <laughs> wow. Shows you how much attention I paid to the game. <laughs> Will Corby had eight for 114, a yeah. very good day for him. That was a rushing total. Uh, U of T still can't run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> not much is new. Yeah. They, I mean, they had some They had some effective runs, obviously, on the day. I'm just looking at the box score here. Didn't watch the game. So, U of T, uh, sort of a, a –
0: well, not even a merciful end to their season. It's just it's yeah. been a rough it ride. Really just – you really know, really and, rough ride. And we were definitely – and perhaps we were going for a bit of a reach, but – There were some positives we were seeing. It was really fun to see what Sakura was doing earlier on in the season. And, you know, guys like Malcolm Campbell, Carter Gladman, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember. Mackay Henry. Mackay Henry, of course. You know, some guys that really showed some promise on that defensive line and just schematically some things they were doing that looked like. You know, maybe it was a reach. I don't think at any point we thought this was a good team by any means. But, like, there's some nice things that you could follow, like storylines. Yeah,
1: exactly. And defensively, schematically, they did cool things. And, you you know, you have to tip your hat to players who are who are playing well on bad teams. Yeah. Because that's tough, right? It's tough to continually stay up for games when you know you're not going to be in it. I mean, you, know you and I
0: have no experience with that. So, I mean, we can't really speak to that. No. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, on a couple not. Well, I mean, you, Guelph wasn't always good when you were there. Well, for one year, yeah, and I, I didn't, I didn't start uh-huh. or play or dress. Well,
1: scout team. Well, then we know why. Uh, <laughs> there we. Thank you. But no, you have to give, you have to give U of T. I mean, you have to give their defense some credit, and and those two receivers, Corby and Diodati, yeah, uh, some credit. So I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, you know, Malcolm ah, Cow- uh, Malcolm Campbell had another sack in the game. Yeah, uh, obviously he's a player. We've spoken about at length, and you have to assume. You know he's going to be a very big-time
0: CFL prospect. And you know he's like you, you, when you look at like recruiting, a lot of the time you, he's putting up the stats and everything. But a lot of it's just like, he's got he's got the right frame, he's got the right body. Like he can probably get a little bigger, which I'm sure in like a CFL team, like they'll be able to um, you know get him to the size he needs to be. But once again, going to the, the leaders, we talked about how Onyeka just uh, beat out Thurston for the lead with seven to six and a half. But right there in thirds, Malcolm Campbell with six of his own, um, you know, and yeah, like, and I
1: think he leads the league in tackles for losses as well. Yeah, uh, which is obviously an impressive stat. This is only his third year of eligibility too, so he does have another year until mm. he is CFL eligible. Yeah, uh, but obviously, you know, a wonderful player, and uh, uh, definitely if I, you know, if I'm picking one guy on U of T to get an All Star look, at him. At defensive end, All Star considerations are going to be extremely. Uh, Extremely crowded, crowded, so Malcolm Campbell absolutely played a a fantastic season, so hats off to him.
0: Yeah, and and looking over to uh, the York side of things, uh, you know, taking aside the fact that they were playing a third and then subsequently a fourth string quarterback, and I mean, not that that's something that you can ignore when you look at a stat like interceptions, but I got to give a massive shout out to my dude Kadeem Thomas. MT-Dub, Central Tech Mans, getting three picks on the day. That was good to uh, get him the OUA Defensive Player of the Week. So, big shout-out to number 32, Kadeem Thomas. Had himself a nice day for himself there. Yeah, what a day, huh? That was pretty sweet. Um, and uh, Rossini Sanjong
1: Jabom also had a sack on the day. He's someone who we've also pointed to as being one of those great defensive ends. Highly, highly athletic on a on – a, well, York isn't as bad a team as U of T. York's not a great team. Yeah, and uh, Rossini Sanjong obviously is is you know just one of those guys you have to watch. Yeah, and contributes to obviously you know he doesn't they don't show it on the stats sheet. They they give him two pass breakups, so obviously he's bad at some passes. But mm. defensive linemen when they get pressures, they force interceptions. So, yeah, uh, credit to him. You That's know, as a part of that effort,
0: every every year like come the draft or just looking at all stars you know when you're not really paying attention to what's going on in the league like say like when when i was at Guelph and you know you have an idea of like who the big you know movers and shakers are but you're so consumed obviously with what you're doing you know when it's time for the draft time for all-stars there was always moments where i was taken aback of like oh there's i didn't know there was a tackle from uft who's like a star or like there's a defensive lineman from york or a db all these things you know cuz you just don't pay attention to them but like there is like that talent is still there um and you know whether it's Rossini for um, York, whether it's um, Campbell for UFT, I mean, these guys, these guys are still there putting up stats, and it's like football's not a game where you know. I know people talk about it with basketball. If you're a good player on a bad team, well, someone's got to score. You don't have to do anything in a football game. You can just get annihilated. Like you don't like the like <laughs> like you, you don't <laughs> you don't have to score points. Like you can just score zero. You don't have to get sacked. So you know, anyways, just up to these guys uh, so
1: you're correct that's a very very funny way
0: to play uh, <laughs> and, and
1: entirely accurate
0: yeah um so you know once again final score York 31 Toronto you uh, Toronto 15 the end of season for both these clubs we'll get into more of uh perhaps what we're possibly going to see with them down the line uh whether it's uh it, you know in a week or two or or whenever it comes but um you know We'll uh, we'll put those two to bed, and uh, we'll move on to two teams that we will be seeing next week. And in fact, we'll be seeing them playing each other again next week with the Waterloo and Guelph game. Final score in this one, Guelph 47, Waterloo 44. This was a double overtime thriller, and this game lived up to the hype we thought it was going to be. I hope you listened to us last week when you told you you need to watch this one because it was exciting from start to finish. And, you know, we'll go over how the playoffs, uh, you know, broke down as a result of uh, of this game and, of course, the others. But, you know, a massive win for the Griffins uh, and a game which, like some other games we saw this season, a lot of just nice play- bounces just went the Griffins' way. Uh, I think it was four five fumbles for the Warriors, four of which were lost. And I'm not sure if that includes the Jason Richards' Punt block slash return TD. That's typically
1: it, how they, they note it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was such a weird play. Like, if, if you missed the play, uh, Jason Richards, shout out another MT Dub guy. Uh, we played with his older brothers. Um, we're deep. We're, we're deep. Heavy in, in the streets. <laughs> all the Toronto mans. Um, but uh, he he got in on the punt, and, and he kind of had that traditional, like, arms extended, looking to block. But then, without seemingly breaking stride, you the next thing you see is him just with the ball and run it into the end zone. Um, I am seeing here they are listing Caleb Girard with a fumble and with a fumble lost. So I'm assuming it is that play. But, you know, massive turning point for them there. Um, But, you know, what what always amazes me with Waterloo is – and obviously this is a game that so easily they could have just won. But when you look across their games, wins or losses, Trey Ford is always there doing the Trey Ford things that he does.
1: Yeah, Trey Ford, as we've said before, does Trey, Trey Ford things. things. He's he's the only kid who can do this in all of Canada. Put up a three hundred and ninety-six yard day passing, gross, and seventy-three yards <laughs> and a touchdown on the ground to go with five
0: passing touchdowns. My goodness, and you know we we I, and he was efficient, thirty of thirty-eight. My goodness, um, we I I think we were we were wrong, or more specifically, I think I was incorrect earlier in the season mentioning that um, the OUA passing touchdown record was 24 or 26, whatever it was. That was what was listed on the OUA website. So if you're going to kill me, I'm taking it from the source, supposedly. So even though he got five more passing touchdowns, which I forget what that puts him at for a season. I think it's 28. Yeah, puts him ahead Yeah, puts him ahead of the mark that we thought he needed to get to break it. Um, apparently that puts him in second. Um, I don't think it'll surprise anyone if he ever yeah, breaks it. Boo, yeah, boo. The season sucks. But – one, but a guy for uh, Waterloo who we have spoken about every week is Tyler Turnowski, and he did, in fact, break the uh, receiving touchdown record, um, picking up two in this game, uh, finishing with a nice day, uh, seven receptions, 107 in the air to go along those touchdowns.
1: But what has to be noted is how much respect the Griffins D gave to Turnowski, mm. they would not let him be isolated they would they basically refused to not have him be either a true double cover bracket with sort of a low defender and a high sort of safety over the top or it could be you know a corner half combo or if if Tyler was in sort of the the main formation side with other receivers, they would be heavily heavily shifted towards that, yeah. so both him and Gordon Lamb to be clear, got a ton of attention and oh yeah
0: and they still produced and they still produced oh, it was like.
1: You find like the one play where Turnowski isn't in double coverage in the first half, and it's him breaking down the seam, catching that deep pass from Trey Ford yeah, I, I, for his first touchdown.
0: Well, I think Turnowski even had a yeah, he had a drop touchdown. He came across the formation. He was just wide open, just slipped through his hands. I believe Waterloo ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive later. Um, yeah, you across the board. Like you met-
1: yeah, I mean Tyler Chernowski had the the drop on. Uh, you know, a play where they formationally got him to the flats, of, yeah. sort of out of the demon look, which as we've talked about in the past, is a, a three-person backfield, including the quarterback, sorry, a four-person backfield if you include the quarterback, yeah. but three non-quarterback players in the backfield, a W, an H, and a running back. That's a slot receiver, a fullback kind of slot receiver, and obviously the running back, And mm. they, they formationally motioned Turnowski to the flats, got him open, he dropped it. I've never seen him drop a pass like that in yeah. my like in, well, in my life. <laughs> I have been watching all that long, but in the last <laughs> since year, his days playing Hamilton Wee oh, football, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I know. but I so he dropped that pass, and then the very next play they they did the same thing, but to Richmond Katia, uh, and he caught it for the touchdown. Yeah. So
0: not a costly
1: error on his part.
0: Yeah, and so mentioning Katia's name, we talked about Gordon Lamb. I mean, and even Mitch Koernick, who it looks like he's at full health. Now, um, you know, putting up 64 yards of his own, a touchdown, Katia, the touchdown, 92 yards. We already talked about what Lamb and Ternowski, uh, Ternowski did in this one. And on top of that, you know, you talked about how effective Ford was running the ball, including passing. But Deion Pellerin, this, you know, one of his better games here. Well, and it's been,
1: it's been every game has been better for yeah. the last
0: sort of few. Which is, you know amazing going into playoffs this is what
1: i expected from waterloo all season long i expected them to have this kind of run game yeah. and i was very disappointed in the early going of the season for them not to have this but that offensive line is churning now mm-hmm. and they're there i mean dion's gotten better he's playing more decisively the offensive line's making it easier for him they're giving yeah. him clearer reads they're moving people off the ball and this is a very f- uh, stout front yeah so the fact that they can do
0: that to guelph Bodes well, yeah, and you know, you talk about them trying to run the ball. I mean, you look at the defensive stats for Guelph, um, leading the way a bit of a surprise, not because he's not a great player, but leading the way for tackles for them. Job Reinhardt with 11 and a half on the day, um, and Luke Coral, who we generally expect seeing at the top of the herd for them, you know, six and a half tackles, two forced fumbles, and recovering both of them. But obviously, those guys taking on quite a bit of work in the middle, anchoring down. That run defense for the Griffins. But yeah, as you mentioned, seeing Pellerin do this is just fantastic. And um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, it, once again, this is a three point victory in double overtime and so many breaks. And for both sides of the ball, we talked about some of the luck that the Griffins had. I know, um, uh, you mentioned uh, Katia had, he, he had a fumble as well. That was, um, that was late in the game leading to the tying, or it was, I think late in the ballgame, Waterloo tied it or took the lead on a touchdown. And on that drive, I think Katia fumbled and managed to recover it. That gave him the lead, leading to the Gabe Ferraro tying touchdown. Um, But it's just crazy, like seeing all this offensive production. Like, what's the final numbers for them? Total offense, 606 yards to Guelph's 399. I mean, it's remarkable.
1: And and Guelph is, you know, when they've won games this year, it's usually been with much less offensive output and winning the turnover margin uh, substantially. You know, Theo, to his credit, threw only one pick, and when you throw, I mean, uh, and you don't want to throw any picks, but when you win the turnover margin substantially, which they did, it really if you win it at all, you should win the game. Yeah. When you win it substantially, you have no good excuse not to win the game. Yeah. And they won it substantially, so they
0: he out a double overtime win, you know, and and, and big ups, uh, you know, in the run game for Guelph for uh, the play of uh, J.P. Uh, Jean Paul Simonkinda putting up 157 on 16 attempts, one touchdown. You know, we'd seen it looked like Jawan Jeffrey had kind of won the starting spot uh, in that backfield. J.P. They use a little bit towards the goal line. He's a big kid. They mentioned on the broadcast he's like 225 pounds, which from seeing him in person doesn't surprise me. He's up. wild and he, he man, you saw in a couple of his runs, you know, as long it was, you know, somewhere in the high thirties, I think 37 showing here, like he, he has some speed, like he can break away a little bit too. Um, break and, away, Kelly Clarkson. Oh, throw a little throwback there. Okay. Oh, there okay. And, you know, speaking of breaking away, um, you know, a guy that we normally see put up stats in the passing game, which he did as a receiver, but getting a little action in the run game was Mr. Kean Schaefer Baker, um, having one attempt for 53 yards and a touchdown, which if you missed it, it was a double reverse. Uh, Theo handing off to Cade, uh, Bellic that is, then handing off to uh, Kian, and on his way to take it into the house, big ups to Theo for just putting the body on the line, a beauty cup block. I don't know who it was for the Warriors coming across the formation. You know, this is still a kid who spent two and a half, three years playing DB. He's he's a banger, and he's a good athlete. So, you know, big upset up there. And, you know, mentioning Cade Bellick's name, finishing with four receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown, you know, Swaggy B, my dude. uh, He's been having a, a really, a bit of a quiet season, but, you know, constantly putting up production. And Thomas Bresciani for them, two receptions, 36 yards. And he was really key down the stretch in the fourth, and I think in overtime too, just when they needed to get some yards. I think those probably were when his two catches came also had a bad drop towards the end, but um, obviously huge for them. And Lucas Brennan, I remember uh, seeing this happen on some kind of angles of play action. Him just leaking out of the backfield. You got to feed the big man every once in a while. So only the one reception for six yards, but I I'm pretty sure that's his only reception, only yards on the season. And he's
1: become a you know a very formidable blocker as a fullback. Like he he hits. But yeah, it's fun to watch. I mean, I remember him being a defensive end recruit and being a big recruit and and starting on that side of the ball. But fullbacks, you know, the best fullbacks are usually linebackers or defensive ends who get converted in. Yeah. In this case, uh, yeah, he's done a very nice job for them, I think. He's
0: become vital to that run game. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving over to special teams for Guelph, because this is obviously huge for them. It's a, it's a huge thing for them in, in any game because in any given game, they probably have one of the better kickers in the conference, perhaps in the country. Uh, one thing to note, off the bat, Keandre Smith, the rookie uh, rookie returner for the Griffins who we saw have a punt return touchdown a couple weeks ago, had I think it was either a kickoff I think it was a kickoff return that he took to the house. Maybe it was on a punt, but it was called yeah, it was a kickoff return touchdown called back for a block in the back and you know going back on that play, it's it's one of those brutal calls where oh, the like it had no effect on the outcome of the play. It was Kyandra is down the field when the hit happened, and it's kind of brutal. But, you know, nonetheless, still having some nice production in the return game. But Gabe Ferraro, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, was drafted, we talked about, was drafted by Calgary last year. He's been an all Canadian, multiple all OUA guy, and huge in this game, not only because he went, you know, four for four um, and four for four, uh, four for four on field goals and on his extra points, accounting for 17 of the Griffins' points in this game. But with his game winning field goal in overtime, now ties him for the CIS slash U Sports record for made field goals. So, with I'm forgetting the name, uh, from Calgary, I believe. Mm, not Lyra, am eh? No, no, I know. I, 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 I was surprised. The big L, the big Liram L, Harulahu. Every time I hear
1: Harulahu.
0: The way, I, do it. the way it's I the so way I always weird. remember his name is I think of uh, remember the old like how the Grinch stole Christmas yeah. movie and there was one of those songs I forget what the words are but I always just think it, sing it to that tune it's like Hi oh, lahu yeah. lahu So Liram Hailu Hailu lahu Liram But uh, anyways moving on uh, but so Gabe obviously credit yes, Gabe, yes. but yes Gabe um, mm-hmm. tying the record for the CISU sports record so the way the way overtime shucked, shucked uh, broke down. And this one was Waterloo started off with the ball, um, scored the, a touchdown. Seemingly, I mean, as they had been moving the ball all game long, with looking like very little resistance, just taking whatever they wanted. Which, you know, as a Guelph homer, kind of scared me because, I mean, y- you can debate whether you like going first or second, and overtime, do you want to be the one to set the set the uh, set the tempo, or do you want to be in the opportunity to have to match or take the win if if they uh, don't get it. But, you know, Guelph responded. They got the touchdown of their own, so then going to the double overtime. You have Gabe hitting the field goal, and when Waterloo took the ball, I think it was the first play from scrimmage. Ford's trying to escape the pocket, and that he'd been doing all game long as a testament by his 70, what was it, 73 yards from scrimmage. Looked like he was about to break a big run until big old Tavius Robinson, number 94, got him from behind. And one of those fumbles today, Eddie, that was for Trey Ford. And it doesn't take away from anything he did in this game. Oh, but it came at the worst possible time.
1: Takes a tiny bit away. Like,
0: yeah. Tavius, on the opposite oh. hash
1: of Trey, 20 feet away, just reached with his long ass arms Oh my goodness. Go-go gadget trips. arms. <laughs> oh what a oh monster boy.
0: eh what a that kid is gonna be so special oh boy is he ever and you know, it was funny because like it was right on the guelph sideline when it happened so obviously they probably saw whomever it was that fell on the ball i wonder if i can if you if we can see who got the recovery on that one i'm guessing it was earl kalinga their uh sam backer um or maybe luke coral one of the two um or Jason – oh, no, it wouldn't be Jason Richards. Either way, you know, but, you know, the Guelph silent ran out of the field right away. From the broadcast view, you couldn't really tell what happened in the scrum after the fumble. So part of me was like, what the hell are you doing, Guelph? Like, wait till the refs have blown it dead. But clearly they had the better angle to see whomever it was that fell on it um, sealing the deal. Um, and, yeah, just a wild game. And, and
1: just a quick note on the other
0: fumbles earlier in the day, uh, that's uh,
1: – so they, they counted the blocked punt as a fumble. Yeah. We're going to just consider that a block for our purposes. That was the third lost fumble by Waterloo on the day, excluding the punt, and they had one other fumble that they themselves recovered. But of the two other ones that were lost, the first uh, was – A Gordon Lamb fumble. And that was an interesting one. Now, he was, you know, he caught the ball. He was downfield. It looked to me like his forward progress had been stopped. Luke Corral comes in and just rips the ball away and takes it himself. I remember that one, yeah. That was a brilliant play by Corral. The second was just dumb luck. Dion Pellerin was in the second level, cutting around one of his own guys, bumps his own guy sort of as he's cutting with his arm. Ball comes out. So, uh, some bad luck on, on, you know, you could say one or two of them because again on on the first one you, i would have said the play probably should have been whistled dead for forward progress uh, yeah it's a but it's i mean that that's a, that's feel, you know right? yeah, that's sort of a nitpick right like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't egregious it was just okay that probably would have been my call but um the second one is that's just kind of bad dumb luck so waterloo obviously needs to get that all cleaned up an amazing game by Guelph overall you know It's a great job by Theo. Again, this isn't like the kind of game that – we're this isn't going to elevate him into the top tier of quarterbacks by any means. But he did what needed to be done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's – sometimes that's all you have to do.
0: Exactly. Especially when you have the talent um, around you that he does, both on the defensive side of the ball, special teams, and then, of course, the other weapons he has offensively. And, you know, he contributed 33 yards on the ground of his own – I don't really know where that um, stacks up in terms of his average. We've definitely seen him got, get more. We've definitely seen him get less. But, you know, every bit counts, especially in a game which was so close. And hopefully some of this magic is able to stay at Alumni Stadium as these two teams will be reconvening this coming Saturday for the rematch. Round two. Round two fight. I mean, you know... I with how high-powered Waterloo's offense is. And I think, you know, Guelph's defense is fantastic. It, it's it, – I could see it going – you know, if we take away some of those mistakes for Waterloo, like this isn't a close game. And, yeah, there were some mistakes that Guelph that Guelph was the – that Waterloo was the beneficiary of as well. But it's just hard – like you can't – it's hard to win games when that's the type of offensive production the other side of the ball is going – giving up. And – I mean, you know, I'm sure the defensive minds, Grandy and the likes at Guelph are, you know, racking their brains to come up with a way now that they've seen them on, seen them live. They have the tape on. They have a full season's worth of tape. But, you know, th- this hasn't allowed any teams aside, for, save for Western, to slow down Waterloo. So, you know, it, 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 I mean, it'll be interesting. At the very least, I'm just hoping that we get another just brilliant game. From uh, these two clubs in, in a playoff atmosphere, which you know, if you've never seen a playoff game at Alumni Stadium, it's a great crowd, really good atmosphere. I'm sure it'll be a ton of fun, um, and yeah, I can't can't wait for it. And for for Waterloo, I'm, I'm also just thinking about this now. It's kind of funny is finishing four and four again, but with of course the wild, wild um, you know playoff scenarios, how it how it broke down this year was good enough to get them into the playoffs, whereas last year that four and four, well.
1: So a huge congrats yeah. to Waterloo! They've officially made it back into the playoffs, as you just said, and that's that's an enormous milestone for the program. One that they will be, you know, even if they lose next week, they can be incredibly proud of. Yeah, uh, it's a. You just you got to tip your your cap to Coach Bertoya and all the kids who followed him there, and have turned this program from you know, the perennial r- whipping boy to now a legit contender.
0: Yeah, and and for and for Guelph, you know, big shout out to to my dude Todd Galloway for, you know, in his first year as the head coach of this team, there were some bumps along the road, but you know, it, it, once again, if we were kind of talking about where these, where the league um, ended up versus where we thought in the beginning of the year, Guelph has a three seed in this league that, you know, that, that, that wouldn't have surprised me to, for anyone to have said that the way it played out surprised me a little, but you know what? They're there. They're in the dance. They got home field for one game. Let's see what, let's see what can happen. So um, once again, that was the Guelph-Waterloo uh, uh, game. Let's move on to our last game now with Ottawa and Queens. Final score in this one, Ottawa 27, Queens 22. This was in Kingston, and we talked last week about that we uh, how this was Western's homecoming for this final week. Completely uh, whiffed on it. This was also Queens' homecoming, so the double Week 9 homecomings happening in the OUA, um, of course, unfortunately, didn't give Queens the spark. They needed to take this one. I believe with the way that the other games broke down Queens still would have missed the playoffs had they won this one. I I think that's correct. I I, I haven't double checked it, but you know, once again, we, uh, weather playing a massive factor in this one. You mentioned the crosswinds in that Windsor in the Windsor game, you know, they're mentioning on the broadcast in this one like 30 kilometer crosswinds happening and it, it really it, you know, the proof's kind of in the pudding. You know, we'll look at Nate Hobbs 17 for 40 for the Queens, 291 yards, but only one touchdown and three picks. And for Ottawa, you know, Sawyer Bittner coming out 13 for 25 with 105, one TD, and two picks. And they actually used Laverick a little bit in the second half, uh, who ended up five for nine with a pick of his own. And, you know, it didn't – it kind of just seemed like they were just trying to change it up, which I don't – I didn't really understand. I don't love that. I didn't either. I don't love that. You know, it's like – You've you've got you've come so far with you know you made you you went through the 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 you know you went through the the ringer early on figuring out who's going to be your quarterback you figured out as Bittner Bittner's put together a nice season for himself the making that move here I it's especially given the weather yeah I really didn't like it I guess you know at some point
1: you just have to try something else I mean you assume. You assume the wind is an equal problem for everyone, but maybe someone's better at throwing in it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. There, there were obviously some interesting things going on at Ottawa because you also saw Jamie Harry playing
0: a little bit of receiver. Yeah, that was very interesting. I don't think he got any receptions. No, I, I definitely saw him getting. He it. was out there. He was out there, and <laughs> what was funny is the, the moment it took notice. I really noticed was on one of the picks. I think it was, I think it was on Bittner's, on one of Bittner's picks where. Harry made the tackle, and so I see number one Ottawa making a tackle, and I'm like, I kind of spaced out oh, for a well, second. He makes lots of tackles. He makes lots yeah, of tackles. So I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just that like, wait a minute. So that's a really interesting wrinkle they're throwing in there.
1: And, and they also, if I'm not mistaken, I thought they had Luke French out there as well, but I, I, I mm. could be just, I could be just straight up wrong on that. So maybe that's the GGs like, like, are Ottawa, just messing with all of they us. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Look how good RDBs are. <laughs> we yeah, can exac- play them anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that whole expression uh, about
0: DBs and hands doesn't prove out, uh, prove to be true for these guys. It's not universal. It's no. not universal. Well, I mean, we see Jamie, you know, he holds their field goals, and he returns kicks for them. So, clearly, he's got a yeah. good set of mitts on him, which, if you know, proven by his uh, league-leading pick in picks. I mean, it only makes sense that Ottawa would give us more reasons to
1: talk about Jamie Harry and gush about <laughs> Jamie Harry. Uh, we all love Jamie Harry here at the 55. That's we very are very true. We are really just – we're the biggest fanboys, and, and – uh, of course, they just want to you know keep our attention, and they nailed it. Hook good us up with you. an autographed jersey, good, please. Good for you, Jamie. Amazing. Barisi, put it. You 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 know how to get us. Put
0: it right up on the wall. Take down the yeah. family photo. Jamie Harry autographed jersey. Really,
1: <laughs> the whole DB core. We could we could. Uh,
0: Oh yeah, we could use one from each uh, if that's not too much to ask. I don't think it is, and I think they should come through. Um, but looking at the traditional receivers that Odwa normally puts out there, a uh, nice bounce back game for Carter Matheson. You know, we saw in the UFT game, and of course it's UFT caveats, caveats, asterisks, asterisks. You know, saw them really just airing it out to him catching, connecting on some deep bombs and you'll finish it with another. And in the Western game, of course, seemingly all facets of Ottawa's offense got diminished substantially. Matheson having a really nice bounce back game here, 11 receptions, 125 yards, one touchdown. Um, So a really good game for him. And then uh, in the running game, you know, same story as it is, as it's been for this team uh, for most of the year with Dawson O'Day leading the pack, 21 carries and a. 111 yards um, still no Bryce Vieira though which you know we talked about obviously this was a must win game for Queens but for Ottawa there was a chance they could have lost the home the um the two seed which you know with Bryce not being out there that extra week off is obviously going to be massive because you know oh we, yeah w- enormous you know we, we've 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 seen them take on Western at home in in a bad weather game whatever you want to say about it but, you know, sans Vieira, and he's obviously an impact player, whether he's uh can play a big enough impact to steal Fantastic a Fantastic possible... French
1: also, by the way. Pardon? Sans.
0: Oh, oh thank you. Bilingual. Sans Vieira. Uh, oh. Once again, you got to pay due to – got to pay your respect to these Ottawa teams, man. Um, but, you know, r- regardless, like a big impact player that, you know, maybe it's just one or two of those plays that turn that Western game – maybe not into a win for Ottawa, but just change the sort of narrative of how that game went, the type of plays that Vieira can contribute. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, and,
1: and the kind of plays that the receivers for Ottawa can make when the wins are not gross. And it was, it was a very windy yeah. day in Ottawa last week as well. So mm-hmm. Ottawa now is, <laughs> I guess they're getting used to playing with uh, inclement weather or, yeah. or, or poor wind conditions at the very least. Uh, Queen's not so used to it, and obviously it, it affected hobbs's accuracy he still had you know plenty of yards in terms of his uh, uh passing yardage but it just wasn't a very good day for him and obviously defense has ruled the day on both sides yeah dawson oday 21 for 111 yards that's good for a 5.3 average you know he did a nice job of, of churning out the yards but queens is rundy and it really the entirety of queens's team has been so much better over the second half of the season. It's a shame we don't get to see them in the playoffs. Yeah,
0: and you know, not just that, but their, like, their rushing attack itself was kind of picking up in this game once again, maybe as a result of needing to go to it a little bit more. But, you know, you had Jake Puskis with 54. You had Rasheed Tucker with 33. Tristan Kuchar, 16. I mean, those have kind of been the guys that they played around with all year. Had some nice production for them. Yeah, not a
1: brilliant day on the ground, but, it, like, you know, pr- effective, effective enough. Yeah. I mean, you sort of, we look at, average yards per run in, in uh, the OUA a little bit differently than we would in the NFL or the CFL, for that matter. You know, we sort of I, – I would kind of want my running back to never close at a game much short of five yards because it just means the running game wasn't routinely effective in, in keeping you ahead of the yeah. sticks. But, uh, you know, there's also a million different ways I can go, right? You can have a couple big runs or you can sort of be getting five yards every run. Mm. And in this case – uh, you know, it was there weren't a lot of super long runs for either of these teams. In fact, there weren't any super long runs for either of these teams. Yeah, The longest for either team mm-hmm. was 13 by Dawson O'Day and, you know, 11 by Puskis and 12 by Hobbs. You know, th- again, so one of those days where the running games were not dynamic and explosive, mm-hmm. but we knew Ottawa had a good run defense, and we've seen Queens come along quite a bit. So kind of impressed with both of these teams, the way that they've grown and developed. Again, a little bit sad Nate Hobbs finishes his his um his his five
0: years at queens uh, on a bit of a sourish note and it's 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 reflected you know obviously the box score isn't great but you look at those picks two of those picks were red zone interceptions following queens def- defense taking the ball away from the ggs so blown opportunities and then the third pick if i remember correctly on that flea flicker play that Queens has run a few times this year where they have, I think it's a receiver motion and then they flick it back to Hobbs who then slings it out to whomever it is. Who's the um, receiver running the deep ball. And I've like, we've seen that play like three, four times, which in the scope of a season obviously isn't that many plays, but when it's a trick play like that, you can just see it coming from a mile away. I remember like watching the, watching that play happen live and thinking like, Oh, this is that flea flicker. And, Ottawa's defense is the the one of the best defensive back cores in the league as we've talked about all season long you know I'm sure it, it clearly didn't surprise them either as that was you know the third pick in the day for Hobbs, um which I mean the play calls not on him per se but um you know it, it's you know it, it's unfortunate and, and I, I totally agree like I was really starting to enjoy watching Queens uh, Queen's play as, as a whole unit not just offensively but on on defense too so it cut it, you know it it sucks. I mean, it's, it's a great state for the, the OUA to think that two teams that are so much fun to watch. Well, I mean, even even York's been fun to watch at times, and, and Windsor, but specifically talk about Laurier and Queens, two teams that are really enjoyable to watch, and yeah, it sucks we're not going to see them in the playoffs, but just for the state of the league, I agree. that's a good thing.
1: I agree. It's a wonderful thing for the state of the league, yeah. and it's, just, it's unfortunate for Queens, because again, just one of those teams that had some bad bounces over the course of the season, and... You know, really could have seen them being 5-3 and three pretty easily. Their disgusting blowout loss against Laurier, where Laurier just manhandled them so badly yeah. earlier in the season. It would have been really interesting to see a rematch of that game because I have no doubt in my mind it would be a very close one.
0: No, I agree. Second go round. And, you know, this was obviously only a five-point win for Ottawa. Midway through the fourth, it was only a two-point lead for them. So, you know, and you know this is an Ottawa team that's been top of the league for, if not the whole, at least the, you know, for most of the of the year, they've been a quite a strong team. So, I mean, Queen's putting up a, a, a tremendous fight. You know, one thing for the Gigs looking forward, you know, we, we talked a bit about the impact having that bye week's going to be to get Vieira back in the mix. But another guy, I, a guy I saw go down, and if you didn't hear about this one yet, I'm sorry to break the news to you because it didn't look great was Thomas Rollins. In the fourth quarter he went down the tackle for them and it, it they didn't mention what the injury was but it just they the play had to stop for a bit like to get him off the field so you know I I haven't heard what the result of that was or if he can make it back but A big loss for them there. Yeah,
1: that sucks. I mean, obviously, he's been playing very well for them and is a pretty crucial part of their offensive line, their best offensive lineman, no no question about it, in my opinion. So hopefully he's fine and they can get him back out there soon because otherwise that's a pretty big void to fill. I don't know what their tackle depth looks like, but I know they're starting a first year, a very, very talented first-year left tackle. But if you're starting a first year, typically it's not because you have – fantastic other veteran tackles waiting in the wings. Yeah. So uh hoping hoping for Thomas Rollins uh, you would hate for him to end his I think it's his fourth this is his fourth year. Mm, yeah, I would hate for him to end his uh this season uh on that note. Because yeah. without him uh that's that's a big hole. You can't have that passing attack without a, without good
0: offensive linemen and specifically tackles, you know. No, you can't. Just, you can't.
1: Uh, I, I wanted to also mention I'm pretty sure I could be mistaken here, because from the broadcast angle, it was a little bit ambiguous. But I think it was Rashawn Davis who had the strip sack of Hobbs. Mm. It was a bit of a, a bit of a mess uh, in the uh, in the pile. Not in the pile, but sort of in the mass of humanity that became the right side of the offensive line. Yeah, I think it was Rashawn Davis who had the strip sack. It shows on the stat sheet. They credited the uh, uh, the forced fumble to Francis Perrin. I think he was actually the one who. Um, recovered the fumble yeah. in the end zone for a touchdown. So another, you know, one of those plays, you make your own luck, and we all know Ottawa has a fantastic defense, and them getting a defensive touchdown is not, you know, something they can't reproduce. Sure. But w- one of those big plays that, you know, may have may have been one of the biggest plays, probably the biggest play of the game mm. if you think about the sort of the total score, if Queens had been able to just get out of their end zone and punt away or yeah. whatever it would have been. I mean, just <clears throat> that's uh that was, that was obviously a tough break for them.
0: Well, Rashawn Davis is, is, is a very talented player. It's, I don't know, if, plays. I don't know if he's had just been real with injuries all year. Cause he's been in and out of the lineup, but whenever he's been in, you see him, you see him making plays for sure. Um, you know, talking about some of those missed opportunities that could have turned, turned the uh, tide around uh, or change the tide. It looked like Inc. Uh, Cranston had two drop picks, one of which might have been six had he he, he corralled it in. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's... And Luke
1: Grease had, I think, a dropped interception, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I
1: mean, and they, they were they were pronouncing on the broadcast, they were pronouncing his name Greasy. greasy. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> they were just saying He's
0: gre- he is Greasy, though. He- <laughs> oh, Luke Greasy. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we've been playing this game um, on this episode a few times now, Eddie, where we say... If I had told you at the beginning of the season, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Well, let's continue playing that game. Because if I told you at the beginning of the season that Chris Osikusi would have one touchdown. And it would come in the last game of the year. What? I know. It's like if you say he has one touchdown, it's like, oh, what? He caught a ball and, like, got hit with a sniper right after he got it in the first game. It's like, no, this is the last game. Oh, man. And, and, you know, you talk
1: about just – an incredible player. We all know that. He, he obviously missed some time also. One or two games, I think. So, th- that's going to happen. Uh, you know, like Julio Jones. never. I mean, to bring it back to the <laughs> NFL. He doesn't have a single touchdown yet this year. He had, like, two or three last year. Or three last year, two of them were in one game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, even great receivers aren't always, you know, the best in the red zone or the most targeted in the red zone.
0: This year, that was Mateo Del Braco. Yeah, and he, oh, he uh, right, once I again... six
1: six touchdowns yeah this
0: year. once again and we talked about with defensive ends some of the sort of fringe guys in terms of all-star conversation who might not make it just because of the wealth of depth same conversation we had at receiver and i'll be shocked if del bro i'll be i'll be shocked but happily surprised i guess if del brocco ends up getting himself an all-star nod but he's he has put together he very a nice well
1: could right i mean like all stars we're gonna get into it on a later episode but there are a ton of good receivers yeah.
0: in this conference so yeah yeah so you know, once again, with with the game shaking out the way it did, Ottawa secures second place. Queens, you know, yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll talk about them in coming up episodes. Obviously, Hobbs is gonna be is gonna be graduating. Um, who else will be there? Or be leaving? You know, stay tuned to find out more. We'll go through all those those details. But uh, you know, that's the wrap for Week Nine, the final week in the OUA playoffs. Are here. And, uh, you know, it's – once again, I'm super excited. So, um, you know, let's move on. So, as we mentioned in our intro, there's been a new development in the McMaster, Greg Knox gate, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, pretty decisive development. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, Greg Knox has been fired by the university uh, for the incident stemming back to the Laurier game about a month ago. I don't really know what to make of this. I mean – I don't have all the details, but it seems to me if this was the end result that they were going to get to, they handled it very poorly. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the right end result to me. Um
0: Like if it was the type of if the if it was the type of thing that warrants a, a firing, you'd think you would have known that sort of a little earlier. Is that kind of what you're alluding to a bit? Or
1: yeah. I, I don't know how many details are um, available, but, but of what I know, it was an incident. Um, unfortunately, I still have some friends on Laurier. <laughs> it was an incident <laughs> that on, on the other sideline where a chain screw member ran into Knox and um, and then something was said. And it sounds like from the press report that it was something threatening Knox said. Mm. Um, I think Mac. I think the entire staff probably contended that it was not. Right. And the Chains crew member contended it was, and that's sort of, that's sort of the total of the incident.
0: From what we know now, I suppose. Yeah. From what we know now.
1: Uh, he got a, a one-game suspension by the OUA, handed out by the OUA after that. Mm. Uh, I think that, you know, if you remember the Guelph incident last year, I think he was on probation for that. So I think if, you, if anything happens, if any minor incident happens, what's deemed a minor incident, right, right, right. then you're going to be suspended if you're on probation from some other moderate incident. I don't know what it was. Anyways, uh, you feel brutal for the kids at MAC, right? Like this is love him or hate him. And I know some people don't like Greg Knox because he's very frank and that rubs some people the wrong way. Mm. But I know some people love him for that same reason. Love him or hate him. Think about the kids. Think about the kids. Yeah, this is this is a, a brutal thing to do to a program, uh, drawn out and handled very poorly. And you know, it's a great effort from the remaining coaches uh, and the coaches who worked in his stead. Uh, Scott Brady, Tom Flaxman, I believe, is the interim head coach. Kyle Quinlan, the whole group, of rallying with his team and and just keeping it together because this is obviously a challenging thing and it's a very challenging thing for the players yeah to deal with so hats off to them uh very sympathetic for what you guys are going through and uh you know just win some games for an
0: ox in the playoffs how about yeah. that that's you know that's that's so my it. that's my biggest hope is the, the decision's been made i can't there's nothing that's going to change at this point but you know you use it to, you know use it to get, sort of galvanize yourselves like you know i hope this doesn't have them feeling down in the dumps about it which it could it so easily could and, and you wouldn't necessarily you know be upset at them for for feeling that way cuz you know we're talking about young kids and this is a a, 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 a a serious issue happening so late in their season with playoffs being here that you know if they were if if they come out and they lay an egg against Carlton you know not to say that like depending on how that would shake down, you know, you could, you could find it to, in yourself to be like, well, the Knox factor is, is definitely playing a part, but you know, do whatever you can to, to just use that to fire, get yourself fired up
1: yeah. for this one, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent, you go either way. And, uh, you know, that's the thing about this game against Carlton is I could see them losing by 40. I could see them winning by 30. You know, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, it's, and I could see it being a close game. <laughs> There's really no outcome I'm willing to rule out at this point. Yeah. I think they have all the talent. They need to be successful. And if they play together as a team and the weather is not, you know, grossly, uh, grossly windy or rainy. Right. And they can pass the ball, which they have given me confidence in their passing game this latest Windsor game notwithstanding the weather being obviously a big factor there yeah. they've given me confidence in their passing game i believe duick will be back
0: he's not expected to miss any time with I the injury i don't know if we saw neil in that game either i don't know if we mentioned that one but i didn't i didn't see his name come up but you know he's that's a really good point that's I didn't either yeah but you know and mm-hmm. that's obviously a huge part for them it'd be a big thing to miss. you know should we take this opportunity now that we're talking about mac and carlton to kind of explain how the standings you know, broke down with the tiebreakers. Sure, give us a quick rundown. Yeah, I, I personally still have been looking at it, and it's making my eyes go cross. So okay, um, you tell so, me. So the final, the final standings, of course, Western eight and zero, Ottawa six and two, securing the week one or the first round of playoff by. Then you have Guelph, Carlton, Mac, and Waterloo, and of course, Guelph, Carlton, and Mac all at five and three. So we mentioned the steps that the OUA takes to determine these tiebreakers last week, but we'll in more detail explain how that played out in this scenario. So, of course, the first step is most league wins. And all the, the three teams are tied at 5-3. and three. So then the next, and this is, I think, where people get confused because a lot of people saying, how could Mac not be ahead of Guelph? Well, the next step is record in the head-to-head. But you cannot use that at all because, um, because Carlton and Mac didn't play and Guelph and Carlton didn't play. So, you know, even though we could say Mac is better than Guelph, We don't know if Mac's better than Carlton or for that matter, if Mac, if, if Guelph's, if Carlton's better than Guelph. So it's this weird kind of standoff where if we put Mac ahead of Guelph, well, but what if Carlton's ahead of Mac and then Guelph were to beat Carlton? Hypothetically, it just creates this weird situation where we don't know those outcomes. We just can't, they just don't want to use that metric. So that's been thrown out the window. So that's for people saying that it should be Mac. That is the reason there because Mac and Carlton and Guelph and Carlton didn't play. We cannot use that. So then step three, Point different than the head to head, of course, we're not using head-to-head, so that doesn't matter. Then becomes record in games within the division, which once again is a stupid step because all their games are within the division, so it remains at five and three. Now is where it gets a little interesting. Move to step five. Record in games against common opponents. So these three teams played six of the six common opponents, those being Windsor, Waterloo, Queens, Toronto, Ottawa, and Laurier. And all of them finished with a record of 4-2 and two in those games. Carlton losing to Ottawa and Laurier. Mack losing to Waterloo in Ottawa. And Guelph losing to Queen's in Ottawa. So the sixth and final step becomes the record in the division in descending order. Which essentially means, how did you play against the top teams in the league? You know, aside from your own, the, the teams we're talking about. So we'll start with Western. Well, Guelph didn't play Western, so we can't use that. Move to Ottawa. All three of those teams lost to Ottawa. Then we moved to Waterloo we know Carlton beat Waterloo, we know Guelph beat Waterloo, but Mac took that L. A tight game, but an L nonetheless. So that automatically makes Mack at the bottom of the barrel of those three teams. So now we have Guelph and Carlton to decide upon. So we just essentially go through those steps once again. So once again, same amount of wins, head to head, you can't use that because Carlton and Guelph didn't play, point difference at head to head, Blah, blah, blah. Record in game in the division. Record against common opponents. Now, when you take York out of the fold, this adds in one extra common opponent between Guelph and Carlton, that being York. But since they both beat York, their record in common in games is 5-2. and two. So now, once again, going to the sixth step, records against the best teams. Western, can't use that because Guelph didn't play them. They both lost to Ottawa. Can't use Mac because Carlton didn't play them. Both teams beat Waterloo, so the next team is Laurier, and we know Guelph won that game in the sixth pick, you know, fiasco out in Laurier, but Carlton took the L. So that's how you end up with Guelph, then Carlton, and then Mac, and then Waterloo, of course, rounding out the playoff picture at four and four, tied with Laurier, but that's a straight, just head-to-head, um, deciding factor. So I hope that clears up the way the standings um, sit going into the playoffs. Um, d- that makes sense to you? Uh, yeah, somewhat. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a little complicated. I'm sure Mac fans are still not going to be satisfied with it with the rules. The OUA has led, uh, has laid out for us on how they decide tiebreakers, you know, it's, it, it just, it, 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 it is what it is um it is it yes yeah, it, it literally is. is yes it
1: cannot be anything other than <laughs> what it is
0: <laughs> so that's how we um get to our playoffs um in the OUA and uh, I guess now perhaps to backtrack a bit or to should we take a look at the playoff matchups or should we go use sports or the U uh, sports landscapes what are you feeling
1: hmm let's have a look at the playoff matchups really quickly yeah
0: we're there right now so as we mentioned um Ottawa and, and Western will have the bye for the first round. That's going to leave us with Guelph at home versus Waterloo. And if it sounds like I'm repeating myself from last week, that's because of course this is the repeat of the Week Nine matchup, the double overtime shootout. And you know we we we've kind of already previewed this one. Another classic. Absolutely yeah, let, it should be. Let's let's hope because once again it, it took some, you know you know there was some fortunate plays for both teams, but five turnovers, four lost for Waterloo is really the only way you can combat 600 or something yards um, produced on offense. Um, So, you know, we'll see how this one plays out. Obviously weather could be a massive factor and a full season of tape and, uh, uh, you know, having your own guys on tape against this team, how's that going to play into a factor for both both these teams? But, you know, I, it's really hard to predict this one. I, I think, you
1: know, I agree. I agree. It could go either way. Um, I definitely am leaning towards Waterloo. I think they'll get their their turnovers cleaned up a little bit. And I don't know, like I don't know what either of these teams could have shown you in this game, but they haven't shown you all year long. They're yeah. now going to be able to stop. I mean, Guelph committed all out to stopping Ternowski. Good plan. I mean, that's how you do it. That's that's how you try to stop him is you double team him, you, you double cover him, you you shade a Free safety and you bring a half over if they're putting him in a formation with a bunch of people. You just do everything you can to shut them down. Mm. Still doesn't really fully work, and you're going to open up every other receiver. And they have some good other receivers. They do. I mean, hopefully, maybe maybe Guelph will be able to figure out the sort of the swarm that is Waterloo's defense. Because I call it a swarm because they'll have like three inside linebackers Behind a nose tackle, and they'll just send them all towards the point of attack. Yeah. And Guelph's offensive line can get pushed, but that'll just make your head spin, that yeah. stuff. So maybe Waterloo will come out with a whole new defensive front. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely thought, I mean, thought it was a great game to watch, and uh, I expect thoroughly it'll be another great game, and that'll bring us to our other playoff matchup.
0: Yeah, going from a game that we're seeing a repeat of uh, we're seeing now a matchup that we didn't see at all this year. Mack traveling to Ottawa to take on Carlton. Carlton had the Week 9 bye, which I remember a couple weeks ago you threw out some stats regarding teams that have the late-season byes and how that ends up. The playing. Week the Week 9
1: bye is interesting, but the Week 8 oh, bye in, right. in previous years
0: was the week mm-hmm. that every team who won the Yates had had oh, okay. for like three or four years. So. Right, right, right. Okay, so we'll see how Week 9 – plays out for them but you know it's a team that definitely had some injury trouble throughout the year uh you know the number one name that comes to mind is kenny onyeka he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit um and as we kind of joked about still good enough to obviously get him the sack leader in this game the greg knox factor you know the quarterback situation for mac but you know carlton is just a team that i just don't know if i fully trust them anymore it's just it's hard i don't they're them and guelph are like two teams i probably don't want to bet on at all (laughs) you know i agree they're both super talented
1: and and they've shown really interesting things this year but and laurie throw laurie into the mix of
0: teams i wouldn't like Uh, you fortunately don't have to yeah yeah fair enough um and uh, i hope this is gonna change because i kind of assumed when when we started this conversation here as would just make so much sense that one of these games is at one o'clock and the other is at four. Guess what time these games start?
1: Oh, tell me.
0: They're both at one o'clock.
1: Of course, of course. Thank you.
0: They've literally done it before. Like this is like when we. Thank were,
1: you so much for this scheduling genius.
0: When we were playing, the games were stacked. Like it would be a one o'clock game, a four o'clock game, or whatever it was. Like this isn't as if they've never done it before. They've literally done this. So I'm hoping just this was just a typo error. You know, one can kinda look like a four. They're kind of close on the keyboard. But this season has proved that they oh,
1: This isn't reinventing the wheel here, people. This is this is barely even eating a cheese wheel. <laughs> this is so easy. Uh, you just you just make two games, you have them at different times, okay? You don't have to have them on the different days. You have them on the same day. You separate it out by three and a half hours. Three. You don't three eat, hours. you
0: don't eat Thursday at eleven AM. That's you know No. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, be- I'm that- not endorsing Fridays at eleven AM. That would actually have been about- Who had that idea? That would have been What's How that- do you have a job? Well, going back to the Laurier one, I think that was some kind of kids' day thing that they were doing, but like they obviously did there was another eleven o'clock game earlier in the season anyways. But you know, uh I mean, there's, like, obviously we want to watch these games and we're going to watch these games one way or the other just because of the playoff implication, but these are great matchups. Like, like, sure, you know, these could, yeah, as you kind of mentioned with the Carlton-Mac game, you could see Carlton winning by 30. You could see Mac winning by 20. Hypothetically, I could see a game in the Waterloo-Guelph one where, you know, Waterloo's offense does what it has done all year, save for that Western game, and blows Guelph out. I could see it being another classical we had last week. We really don't know, but that's also just the intrigue of it. We can't really predict what's going to happen in these, which you know will hopefully just make for great games, which I'll probably end up having to watch one live and watch another on the on-demand thing. I will give OU the credit for that. The on-demand feature they do is pretty cool, but you wouldn't need to use the on-demand as much if we could just have them staggered a little bit. Um, so that's definitely frustrating. De- uh, definitely frustrating. And I, and I believe it'll be the winner of Waterloo Guelph Going to Ottawa to take on the GGs in the in the semifinal, and then the Mac Carlton winner going to play Western. Is that
1: well? If Waterloo wins, then they would be going to play Western because they're the lowest seed.
0: So it's it's based on the seed, not the bracket. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then we'll just have to. We won't even talk about that, and we'll just see how these games play out. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's it's playoff time, baby. Like you can't like the we don't like kind of that classic saying that you have in the locker room of like, Oh, if I need to get you hyped up for this, you're not ready as is. It's like, you know, our job is, you know, part of our job here is to hype up this league, hype up these games. But like, whether you follow OUA devoutly, whether you tune in for playoffs, just for Yates cups, just for the national championship, whatever it is, we are at that point now. Like if you're only like a part-time Canadian football, university football fan, this is where you're going to come out and watch these games. So, you know, If you're in the Guelph area, if you're in the the Ottawa area, check out these games. They're going to be fantastic. You're going to see amazing athletes across the board. And hopefully the weather stays a little calm, as we've had a couple weeks now where it's just Uh, been... You know,
1: just bundle up. Bundle up, wear a garbage bag if you think it's going to rain. You (laughs) know, whatever you got to do, just get out there and
0: watch some football. And just, yeah, it's going to be a great time. Um,
1: Very quickly, I just wanted to bring it to Canada West. Uh, Last week we had... Calgary beat the ever-loving tar out of Regina. Saskatchewan mm-hmm. beat up on uh, Manitoba. The first game, the Calgary game, to the tune of 58-6. to six. The Saskatchewan game, 27-4. to four. And UBC beat up Alberta, 30-11. So the seeding for uh, the Hardy Cup playoffs, which is what they call it in the Canada West, still has to be determined. But the standings uh, as they go... Uh, sorry, the seeding has to be determined, but the, the teams that will make the playoffs are assured at this point. It is Calgary, UBC, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Uh, Alberta, obviously, is the um, – well, they're the worst team in the conference, but Regina has a worse record because <laughs> they, of forfeited course, forfeited the, five games. And then you know, that takes a little bit of the window to your sails. It can do that. It can absolutely
0: do that. And, so, And sorry, just to no, go back to the, the Calgary-Regina um, game. You know, we kind of talked about, at the very least, this will be our opportunity to see another pick, uh, to see Picton Sinagra. Still no Picton, though, for Regina in this one.
1: Yeah, it's too bad. One of the yeah. best quarterbacks to ever play in Canadian football and Canadian university football, I should say, <laughs> is is uh, has been sidelined and obviously undercut.
0: I don't know. I think team. he's better than Doug Flutie. I'm, well,
1: well, I mean, it's a Boston College legend. So. You watch your mouth. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think everyone agrees Calgary should waltz to a Hardy Cup championship and to the Mitchell Bowl, and I think we assume that'll be with Western, but that's why we
0: watch the games. There you go, baby. We Anything can happens.
1: happen. The Canada West is a very dynamic conference, so.
0: Yeah, it's always a lot of fun to see what's going on there. Um, RCQ there's a couple of games. You had uh, McGill taking out Concordia 31-19, to then you had Laval just you know doing Laval things to uh poor little Sherbrooke to the tune of <laughs> 53 to 0 um and then for the standings there you know those standings rarely ever change the, Laval has the 8-0 no. the executive summary is very simple yeah
1: Laval has 8-0 no. Montreal has two losses they're both to Laval yeah and they are the only two teams that matter yeah to say anything more about the standings is to waste all of
0: our time which we won't do because we don't that would be wasting your time and we love you and, but our time is more important <laughs> um and then a, a quick peek over out in the east coast you had uh, mount allison losing to acadia 27 to 11 um and then you had effects beating bishops. Oh, bishops almost picking up a win here. Um, twelve to eleven. That's a nice uh, Canadian football. score you almost, there. you almost had it, Bishop. Oh. You almost had it. You almost had one there. Um, so the standings there remain the same. And I guess you know if we're talking about what it is that you're looking for in these conferences, St. Mary's still undefeated. Um, so they'll probably have the pleasure, as we've joked about, of of getting to lose to either Montreal or Laval in the national semi on that side of the bracket. But, um, hey, it is what it is. Um, so that's that's the, that's the wrap, then. That's what we got for you. Anything else, Eddie?
1: No, that's it. I think next week we'll hopefully have our all-star sort of contenders and considerations in, and then uh, we'll sort of go over, you know, the broadly the stats across the entire country and, and have a look at, uh, you know, how everything's shaking out statistically this year.
0: Yeah, and maybe we'll take a look at some of the programs that – didn't make it in as, in terms of like what's
1: yeah we'll do post-mortems on not yeah, yeah. make it in and we'll do a little do a, a little, little work better. there
0: yeah i um, can also wait for the off season yeah we can yeah it'll come at some point you know we're not going anywhere quickly um but you know can't reiterate enough playoffs are here baby in the way. it's time to get it on let's see who's gonna have the chance to uh, take on western um to see if they're gonna be an upset this year so you know that's it for us As a little, you know, little plug for my own, uh, the work I do outside of this, if you're, uh, you know, it's getting cold out there. If you're going to be having wood delivered to your house for the winter season upcoming, pay your wood stackers. Tip your wood stackers, I should say. Tip your wood stackers. We do hard work. Anyways, that's it for us here this week. He is a literal lumberjack. Literal lumberjack. Uh, So we'll see you next week. Playoffs, baby, at the 55.